focus this year on the gospel in four letters. We're, we're going to be studying Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians. We're right now in the, the book of Galatians and hopefully you're finding your way there. And so far we've understood this reality that the gospel you believe determines the life that you live. Everyone believes a gospel, something that we believe is true and good. But unfortunately, there are many false gospels, many weak gospels. There's only one true gospel. And the Bible teaches that the gospel is the power of God to save us from the, the power and the punishment of sin. So we have peace with God, peace within and peace with others. Now, we're currently, uh, we're going through this series, studying Galatians, where we're talking about experiencing the gospel. Now, now to experience something is to have our heads, our hearts, and our heads engaged, and, 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 and hands rather. The, the, the gospel is meant, it's meant to engage our thoughts, our affections, and then our actions. And, and this is all based on, on the book of Galatians. And, and remember, Paul was writing to these churches because they were being taught a false gospel, a gospel that had permeated the, the early church. And, and he's speaking very, very definitely about it because this was a, a very diff, uh, definite affront to the gospel because people were being told they had to behave on the outside, behave like Jews on the outside before they become believers. And, and that is not at all the truth of the gospel. So if you'll look back in chapter one, you'll see that we, we first started by looking at verses one through nine and we talked about what it means to experience grace. The fact that God does not want us to be behaving beasts. He wants us to be people transformed into the image of Christ. And last week we looked at chapter 1 verse 10 all the way through uh, chapter 2 verse 10 at, at this narrative, this testimony if you will of the Apostle Paul speaking of the power of the transformation. And we dug down deep into that realizing that God uses his word, his spirit and his people in order to bring about transformation. Now today, we're going to talk about experiencing gospel correction. And what we're going to do is we're going to dig down deeper into, into how God works through his word and through his people. Uh, remember our, our monthly uh, scripture verse uh, this month is 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And this is how God works through his word. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof. Now look at that one, for correction for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so today we're going to talk about this gospel correction. And it's one of the ways that we serve one another. So God works through his word, but he also works through his people. Remember, we looked at this last week, 1 Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. And one of the ways we sometimes serve one another is by correcting each other. We have to be so careful that, that we do not do this in a, a hurtful or a, a hateful way. We are to provide gospel correction. So, so what is gospel correction? Here's a definition. Gospel correction occurs when a gospel experienced person, that's someone who's repented and believed the gospel, has been saved, their head, their heart, and their hands have been changed by the gospel. They've experienced it. When a gospel experienced person challenges another person to live and to walk in the narrow way that the gospel provides. Again, the gospel provides this narrow way of life. And when a person who claims to believe the gospel gets out of that narrow way, uh, other believers must call them back. It, it, is a, it is a gospel correction. When our oldest son Jackson was little, he loved Mario Kart. How many of you guys love Mario Kart? 
It's a good thing. You, you ought to experience it. Head, heart, hands. It's good stuff. When, uh, when, when he was little, he would have guys over, little ones, and they would, they would play Mario Kart. And one of his buddies, um, he, he, loved to, he loved to play the game wrong. He, he, he loved to go the wrong way. And, and if you ever are playing Mario Kart and you begin to go the other way, there's a little turtle with goggles that will pop up. It's, it's on the screen for you. And, 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 and the whole time he's telling him to turn around, turn around. And I remember this was happening one day and I could hear Jackson in, in, the, in the front room at the top of his lungs saying to his friend, go the other way. Go the other way way and I, I put the quote up there go the other way let's say that together go there are times as a Christian when you're going to need to say to someone say it out loud with me go and there's sometimes you're going to have to listen to another person who believes the gospel and they're going to say to you That's right. And it's so important that we understand and receive this correction. There's times that you have to give it. There's other times that you have to receive it. And the Bible says that that's what wise people do. This is uh, Proverbs 19.20, New Century Version. Listen to advice and accept correction. Now, this, this Hebrew word correction is a, is a Hebrew word musar. And, and the word musar, it means to, it's an instruction with discipline that results in a changed life that walks in the way of God. So there's times that you're going to need to give Musar, and there's going to be times when you need to receive Musar. But Musar, correction, is a normal part of the Christian life, and it's so important that, that we receive it and give it properly, that it be a gospel correction. That, that it be one that honors God and gets us on the narrow way. Now, there's, there's different issues that gospel correction will deal with. There's different things that we all have issues with that we need gospel correction concerning so that we can walk in the narrow way. It's not so that we'll feel shame, not, not so that we'll be alienated or that there'll be further conflict, but no, no, so that there, there can be a, a means by which we walk into and in the way of Christ. Now, let me tell you what gospel correction is not. It's not peacemaking, okay? We're, we're, we've talked about peacemaking before. Peacemaking is when you're, when you're seeking to reconcile a relationship. Again, gospel correction may, may involve peacemaking, but it may not. It may not. It may just be go the other way is what needs to be said and done. It's also, it's not restoration. Restoration is when a person who's been living in sin is restored into the way of Christ. Again, Correction may be a part of restoration, but, but restoration, I'm sorry, correction is not restoration. We're going we're gonna to talk about restoration in detail in a few weeks when we study Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Just, just to read that real quickly again to understand the difference. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spiritual uh, gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about gospel correction. It, it's, it's not peacemaking. It's, it's not restoration. It's, it's dealing with issues so, so that we can walk in the narrow way. You've got your Bible already there. Let's go now to Galatians chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 11 through 14. Colby's going to read those for us. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Colby, come on up. Again, we're in Galatians chapter 2. And uh, 
Colby's going to read for us our scripture for today, 11 through 14. Colby, go ahead and read that for us. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned before before certain men came from James. He was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew his back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. They and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritely along with him, so even Barnabas led astray by their hypocrisy. But but when I saw that their conduct was not not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. Well done. But if you would go ahead and be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. Go to verse 11. Go to verse 11. And, and I want to I show you something here. Um, we're going we're gonna to go into um, Acts here in just a second. This moment right here in verse 11, this was, this was an important moment. This is a critical moment in history because Paul and Barnabas and some of the other believers, they were beginning to act in a way that was contrary to the gospel and, and their actions actually endangered the gospel. That, that's why Paul was so forceful. He was so confrontational. Can you hear the heat in his voice? I mean, this guy is hot. And he's sharing a, a, an interaction that he had with a leader, a key leader, the rock, if you will. And, and, and he's, he's calling him out because at this moment, there were many churches and many leaders who, who, were, who were wandering away from the true gospel. And what they, were, what, what they were doing is they were beginning to accept a false gospel. And so the, the truth was in danger of being distorted. And so Peter and even Barnabas, and, and isn't it interesting, even Barnabas, he says, was, was now caught up and being led astray and leading others astray. And it's so odd that that would happen considering their experiences. Let's go back to Acts and let's understand what, why, this was so, why this was so odd that this would happen. Go to Acts chapter uh, 10. And what you see about Peter, this was, uh, this was crazy for, of all people, for Peter to act in this way. Uh, if you'll remember, uh, Jesus spoke directly to Peter and said, hey, those dietary laws you've been following all your life, done, not doing that anymore. And yet here he was requiring these restrictions after Jesus Christ himself said, this isn't going to be the way in which you live or that you call others to live. And you look there at the last part of Acts chapter 10, he goes to a Gentile's home. He eats and stays in a Gentile's home. He, he, he's calling them to believe the gospel. And then you go to Acts chapter 11, and what do you see him doing? He's defending his actions. He's explaining the gospel and, and how there doesn't have to be a change in behavior in order to believe in Jesus Christ. But belief in Jesus Christ brings about that transformation as we talked about last week. So it's, it's, it's sort of unbelievable that here, Peter, the rock, would be leading others astray. That, that he himself would be denying the, the true gospel. And then Barnabas, look in chapter 11, 19 through 29. He's a part of the church at Antioch. 
The church of Antioch is filled with Gentiles and Jews. The leadership comes as, as far from North Africa and Asia and, and there in the Middle East. And it's, it's, it's crazy that Barnabas, a part of, of such a diverse congregation, would now begin to act in, in, in such a way that was in opposition to the gospel in Acts 13 through 14. Just glance through there. Look what he did. He put his life in danger going on Paul's first missionary journey. Why did he do that? to take the gospel to Gentiles, to take the gospel, not to take Jewish tradition, not to take Jewish practice. He went to take the gospel because it's the gospel that saves. And he knew that. He knew that. And then go to chapter 14, verses 24 through 28. Look what he's doing. He's, he's giving testimony to the work of, of God amongst the Gentiles. And, and he's telling the church at Antioch, this is what God's doing. This is the amazing grace that's at work. How, how strange that, that Barnabas and Peter would now turn from the one true gospel. So the moment described in, in, um, in, in there in Galatians 2.11, I believe it is in Acts 15. Go to Acts 15. I want to read this real quick. In Acts chapter 15, I believe that this is the circumstance in which uh, the Apostle Paul uh, confronted Peter and these other believers and, and Barnabas. It says, but some men came down from Judah and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about the question. And so what you see here is there's a very significant conversation that's taking place. And Barnabas now is, is siding with, 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 uh, with Paul. So at some point there was a gospel confrontation. Go to utter way, Barnabas. And, and there was a change. And what we'll see is in the conclusion today that, that, that Peter too was willing to change. You know, to protect the gospel, Paul had to correct Peter. He had to correct Barnabas. He had to correct these others with a gospel correction that spoke to their issues. And, and our text today helps us understand some of the issues that, that gospel correction speaks to. Three of them I want to point out to you today. So let's go back to Galatians chapter 2 having understood now the context and, and how, how unreasonable it was that, that both Peter and, and, and Barnabas and these other believers would turn from the one true gospel. We, we see this, this confrontation in Paul's voice and, and, and the issues that, that, that this gospel correction would speak to and speaks to still today. The first one is this. Gospel correction speaks to insecurity issues insecurity issues and we all have them Peter was eating and having fellowship with the Gentile believers as Jesus commanded to until look what it says there in verse 2 until certain men from James so there were these these what they were called Judaizers came from Jerusalem uh, this circumcision party as they were as they were called and, and what 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 Peter showed was a a fear of man now, if you'll remember, the Apostle Paul was very clear that he did not do anything out of a fear of man. He was making a point there in his own testimony. Go back real quick to Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. And remember this, these rhetorical questions that, that Paul was, was, was bringing. And here's why he was bringing it. Because he was, he was getting ready to point out that our insecurity issues. One of those fearing men, as Peter did, for I am, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. 
Unfortunately, Peter had insecurity issues as it pertained to the circumcision party. And it's unfortunate because it's a trap. Our insecurity issues, our fear of man is a trap. This is a Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And let's not forget, this is not the first time Peter had fear of man. You remember, this is on the screen for you, Mark 14, 66 through 71. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls, a teenage girl of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you were also with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know or understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and, and the rooster crowed and the servant girl saw him and began to say to the bystanders, this, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse. He began to use foul language on himself and to swear. I do not know him, this man of whom you speak. Peter denied Jesus three times. Why? Well, b because he had issues. He, he had insecurity issues. And we all need to be very careful about our judgment of Peter at this point. Because the fact of the matter is, we all have issues. We, we all have insecurity issues. Uh, some have parental insecurity issues. Uh, mommy and daddy issues are, are the, uh, the makings of many movies and TV shows. Uh, you know, when you hear pop psychology, often, you know, the first thing that they, they want to uh, speak about are the, uh, your, your mom and dad issues. And, and, and why is that? Because, well, there, there, is, there, there are these, these parental insecurities that, that exist because we live in a broken world. And, and we need to understand that, that those are there. And, and often, likely, we also have peer issues. Uh, many are insecure around their peers, and what their friends say and do, they do. That's why, you know, you have moms asking good questions. If everyone was jumping off a cliff, would you join them? And, and if you answer wrongly, you get smacked in the head for good reason. I'm not saying that's gospel correction. I'm just saying it's helpful. And, and, and so we do, we have these insecurity issues with parents, with, with peers, also with, with prejudiced people. And, and one of the things that we're seeing is a new prejudice that now exists in our culture. Those in power, they're threatening others with, with cancel. This cancel culture is a prejudice culture. It's a culture that, that's choosing to identify those that, that they don't want to be honored. And so there is now this, there's now this pressure. And it's so sad to me see, seeing some preachers uh, to even do that. Even this week, there's been a great scandal uh, amongst the evangelical community, although I don't think it's amongst the evangelical community because I don't believe the person uh, of whom is now uh, speaking inappropriately is an evangelical. I believe he's, he's a heretic. But nonetheless, we, we have this person who was once a teacher of the word of God now falling in, into this trap because of a fear of people denying the authority of scripture. Why? Because of, of the fear, because of insecurity with, with prejudiced people and then pop culture. Pop culture is always going to, to, to provide pressure. And we've got to be very, very confident in who we are. We're going to fall a victim of these, of these insecurity issues. Insecurity comes from losing a gospel understanding of who we are. Friends, if, if you know who you are in Christ, you, you are going to be able to avoid being insecure. If you'll believe what the Bible says, what does the Bible say? This is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The person who believes the gospel will not be insecure. You'll be confident in who you are and you can, you can overcome those insecurities that are so natural to all of us. Secondly, gospel correction. It also, it also speaks to hypocrisy issues. Hypocrisy issues. See, once we're made to feel insecure, we will usually begin to have hypocrisy issues. You know, you can't please everybody, but we sure want to. In our desire to be accepted, we will often go along with whatever the crowd we happen to be with is doing. And that, and, and that happens, and when it happens, we're, we're hypocrites. Now, what, what does it mean to be a hypocrite? Uh, here's a definition that's an understanding. The word hypocrite, it comes from the, the, the Greek word Hippocrates. It means actor. It's an actor. A hypocrite is a person who acts in contradiction to his or her stated beliefs or feelings. And so here you have Peter and Barnabas who have stated their beliefs. They have stated sincerely and consistently that they do not believe that you have to change the outside in order to believe on the inside. That clearly that when you believe the gospel, it changes your affections and then changes your life. They believe that, they've stated that. So now they're acting, they're acting in contradiction to their stated beliefs. And I imagine it was, it was very hurtful and very harmful. I remember over a, a dozen years ago, I had a friend that I was, I was pretty close to. Um, he would regularly run decisions by me before he made them in, in terms of his ministry, he had a significant uh, ministry. And I remember being with him once and, and him being uh, somewhat rude to me. And I let it go because, you know, friends are like that with one another from time to time. And you can overlook an offense. But, but I noticed some that, that he was circling himself with were, were people that I, I, I would say were, were not those who held to the biblical faith. And it was sad to me within a matter of months that he had changed his vocation, changed his church affiliation and began to, to teach something that was contrary to the scripture. The thing I, I began to wonder, it was very hurtful to me. It was very hurtful to me because when I reached out to him, he blew me off. Interesting, he contacted me a couple of years ago. He wanted me a, to be a part of our ministry and have him come and preach to you guys. And it was like, uh, no. What I wonder about him is when, when was the hypocrisy? I mean, when we were friends and he was teaching, was he a hypocrite then, teaching something he didn't believe? Or, or does he still honestly believe what we've always said we believed, but now out of insecurity and a desire to make money, is he now being a hypocrite? I don't know, but I, what I am sure of, he's a hypocrite. He's acting or has acted at some point in a way that is contrary to his stated beliefs. You know, Peter and Barnabas, I mean, very clearly the scripture says acted hypocritically. Our hypocrisy will, will always not only hurt us and our reputation, it's going to hurt other people's. Mom and dad, listen to me. If you act a certain way at church or around godly people and then another way when you're not around the church and godly people, 
you're a hypocrite. And here's what's going to happen. Either your child is going to become like you and deny the, the true faith and, and, and act out in, in the way you've taught them. Or they're going to reject you and they're going to accept the true gospel. Either way, it's not good. You know, those of you who have friends at work, friends at school, friends at places where you hang out, you know, if, if you're talking and living and acting in a way that is contrary to your stated beliefs, here's what's going to happen. Either they're going to come to saving faith or be sustained in saving faith and they're going to reject you. Or they're going to follow in your path and they're going to reject the faith. Either way, it's not good. See, hypocrisy causes hurt. You know, th th there is though a difference. I want to make sure we make this, this clear in our minds. There is a difference between a, a gospel-centered, gospel-power person who's made a mistake and sinned versus a hypocrite. See, when, when, you're, when you're a Christ-centered, gospel-powered person and you sin, you repent to God and to other people. Uh, look what it says in 1 John chapter uh, 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, look at that plural. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. Don't forget, John's writing to believers. He's talking to people. He's writing to those who've already repented and believed the gospel. And so he's saying, yes, you're going to sin. This side of heaven, your, your, your flesh is still at work. And so when you do, repent. Verse 10, if we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We don't confess to be saved again. We confess to restore a broken relationship with God. The gospel gives us peace with God, peace within and peace with others. And when a person who is a Christ-centered, gospel-powered individual, when we sin, we, we hurt that relationship with God within and with others. And so we must repent, first and foremost, to God and, and have that restoration and, and be who it is we have, we have been saved to be. And then we go to others. This is James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. We, we, we're to, to seek peace and healing. When, when we confess, hey, I was wrong. I shouldn't have been talking like that. I shouldn't have been acting like that. I want you to forgive me. I've sought, I've sought forgiveness from God. I know, I, I know where I stand with him. I, I want to stand right with you. You're, you're going to sin. And it's right to confess your sins and to have healing of that relationship with God and, and with others. However, if you are consistently, and hear this, intentionally acting or living in a way contrary to your stated belief, you're doing this on purpose and you're some way hiding it, it's hypocrisy. You need to repent of your hypocrisy and the damage that you've done and, and or doing. Peter and Bonnevis, they, they caused harm. Their, their hypocritical behavior led some to, to believe a false gospel, so much so that there had to be a gathering there in Acts 15 in the Jerusalem Council to speak to the issue for all the churches. And there were others. It says Paul and Barnabas and other believers. They were being led by them to be hypocrites. Friends, hypocrisy is a disease. It sickens you and it spreads to others. We must repent. And, and the gospel, gospel correction calls us to it. It speaks to these insecurity issues. It, it speaks to the, these, these hypocrisy issues. And thirdly, gospel correction speaks to legalism issues. 
legalism issues. Now, Peter was doing what all legalists do. In their hypocrisy, they demand that others live up to a set of rules not required by Jesus. They have a set of rules not required by Jesus. Peter lived in freedom that Christ offered until those certain men came from James. And then he expected himself and others to live up to standards that that Jesus does not. That's what legalism is. Let me give you the definition so you can have it. Legalism. Legalism is requiring people to live by standards that Jesus does not demand. Legalism is when we create things as human beings that we think are best for people. Rules that that, that we think are somehow going to enhance the gospel. Friends, we can't enhance the gospel. The gospel is of God and it is all that is needed. The gospel changes our head and our hearts and our hands by by legalism, what we do is we're, we're basically trying to change the hands in the hope that it gets our heart and maybe it enters into our head, but usually it does not. That's why you have a lot of people, oftentimes we'll talk about being raised in church and being demanded to follow rules that other people, they, they didn't follow when they're out because of the hypo- hypocrisy. But this legalism, excuse me, often turns people away from, from the true Christ. L- legalism, it, it doesn't work. And, and that's what was happening here. And, and please remember, Legalism is not loving. It's not loving. What what is love? Why is it so powerful? 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love looks to provide what is best for other people. Love always speaks and acts according to what is true, according to God's word, according to the authority of Jesus Christ. Love does not lie. It believes what God has said and endures. Love does not add to what God has said. What love does is receives what God has said. And having received the love of God, we're able to love God and other people and fulfill the great commandments to love our God with all we are and love our neighbors ourselves. You've got to reject legalism. We've got to let the gospel correction deal with that issue that's in our hearts. Friends, let me ask you are you correctable? Peter was. Go back to Acts chapter 15. I want to show you what happened. So Paul clearly calls him out. He and Barnabas both. And and we've already seen that Barnabas in in the first part of of Acts 15 once again was ready to stand with Paul on this issue. Now what we see happening with Peter, look in verse 7. We see Peter corrected his life and statement. So here they are. They're at the Jerusalem Council. We're there with all the bigwigs. And this is one of the most important moments in in biblical history as the gospel is is being clarified. And what does Peter say? And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And, And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. 
And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Clearly, Peter received that gospel correction dealt with his insecurity issues, dealt with his hypocrisy issues, dealt with his legalism issues. And you know what he became? He became useful to God. Some of you are not useful to God. One, because you're not a Christian. Others, because you're not dealing with your issues. And I want to say to you this morning, go the other way. And I want to encourage you to say to one another, go the other way. Go the way of Christ. Some of you need to begin to go the way of Christ today. Some of you need to return to the way of Christ today. Some of you need to come and ask for help to deal with these issues that you know are there in your life and ask God to help you. He will. Let's stand together. Care leaders, if you would, come forward as I pray. Father, again, we, we are humbled by your grace to us and we trust in your goodness and we know you have a, a, a plan and, and a reason for all things. And, and, and we are, we're tempted in various ways. Your word tells us that. But, but through the gospel and by the truth of your word and the work of the spirit, we can recognize you calling us to the other way, to the narrow way to the way that, that pleases you, blesses us, and helps others. And so I pray today for some who need to be saved, who need to begin their journey in the way of Christ, that they would. Pray for some today who need to return to the way of Christ, that they will. And I pray for those who need help, who've maybe recognized something in their own heart and lifestyle, and they need to, to pray. And so they may want to come forward, Lord, they're welcome. They may need to come and talk with the leader here at the front. They may not feel comfortable with that, Lord. So I pray that you'll lead them out into the lobby where folks at Guest Connect can talk with them, where I can talk with them. And God, you would, you would bless them. Because God, you are so faithful. You are true. You are all that we need. And we thank you for this gospel, this truth that sets us free. Hear your people as they come to seek wisdom, as they come to pray and bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.